Welcome to Bakersfield Observed with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of the Bakersfield Observed podcast. We record it right here at the American General Media offices off California Avenue and Highway 99 in Bakersfield. This podcast airs weekly, and it complements the work of my Bakersfield Observed blog. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. You can also get it on kernradio.com. As you know, we cover a lot of topics on this broadcast. We cover advances in cancer treatment with Dr. Robbie Battelle. We're the only place in town that dares to talk about the sexual abuse allegations against former priest Craig Harrison. And last week, we talked about a new podcast, a local podcast, devoted to some of our community's most notorious crimes. It's called Notorious Bakersfield. I would recommend it to everyone out there. And today, we're going to focus on the game of musical chairs and local, as local politicians line up to get ready for the election this year. No person better to join me to talk about this than Russell Johnson. He's head of Common Sense Consulting. Of course, he's a former Bakersfield City Councilman. Russell, how are you, sir? Doing well, Mr. Bean. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for helping me make sense of this, because I will tell you, when I use the term musical chairs, I did it for a deliberate reason. I mean, we started off, Nicole Parra had announced that she was going to run for Congress. She has since switched. Leticia Perez had indicated that she might be retiring. She is now back in uh, looking at a state assembly race. And Lewis Gill, who was also going to run against Kevin McCarthy, well, he's changed his mind, and he's going to be running for the District 3 seat on the Board of Supervisors being vacated by by Mike Maggard. This all started with this whole redistricting thing. Now, Russell, help me here. You're an expert in this. Help me understand how this redistricting process worked and how uh, uh, who was in control of it and if there were winners and losers in this. Yeah, so there in redistricting, there's always winners and there's always losers, right? That just, it's the name of the game. When districts change, change creates winners and losers. losers. That happens. So um, redistricting this go-around was done by the Independent Commission. This is the second set of lines we've had drawn by the Independent Commission. This year's Independent Commission had a different set of priorities. So if you recall in the past, politicians used to draw our lines. Then in the 90s, the judges drew them for us, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the 2000s, the politicians again drew our lines. But if you look at where we're at, with this commission, they really put a lot of em uh, emphasis on the Voting Rights Act and ensuring that you had majority minority districts, right? Mm -hmm. And we know about that in Kern County because our Board of Supervisors had to do a midterm redistricting and actually had to redraw lines based on a lawsuit um, because there wasn't enough minority, uh, majority minority representation on our Kern County Board of Supervisors. So, and I'll, I'm going to steal from George Skelton. This is his quote, not mine. Uh, George Skelton wrote a great piece about uh, how we still have gerrymandering in California. 
but reforms did away with the old ugly system. So here was his quote that really summed up what happened in this year's redistricting. The goal of this year's uh, gerrymander was to help Latino, Asian, uh, Af- Asian American, and black candidates win seats, and it resulted in some very oddly shaped districts. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at what he referenced and you look at the data, in terms of California redistricting for Congressional Assembly and Senate seats, here's how everything broke down. In a state like California, where 39.4% is Latino, 34.7% is white, and 15.1% is Asian American. I'm sorry, Russ, could you, could you go through that again? 39.4% is Latino? Latino. Okay. 34.7% is white. Uh-huh. Or Caucasian, right? Fifteen point one is Asian American, and five point four percent is Black. Okay. These are California Finance Department demographics numbers. You had in the past before redistricting nine Latino congressional seats. Now there's sixteen majority uh, Latino congressional districts. Um, and then what you had before, where you had congr- um uh, that's a net gain of seven Latino congressional districts, right? Mm-hmm. When you had six districts now that are 30% or greater Asian voting population, that's up from three from the previous redistricting 10 years ago. So a doubling of the number of Asian American uh, districts for con- Congress are up. And we're, there was two African American districts before, and the state still has two African American uh, districts, and those are both uh, centered in L.A. So, um, Russ, talk R- about... R- Russ, let me interrupt you. So, I want to make sure here. So, part of part of the goal of, the, of this independent commission was to make sure that the new districts line up in sync with the population breakdown. I mean, I mean, is it so? The idea, because you know, we could talk about that all day. Is, is it just because you have a district that is fifty one percent? Latino doesn't mean that 51% is going to vote all the same way, you know. Uh, That's very true, and we see that in Kern County with David Couch's right. supervisorial seat. Right. Yeah. Okay, but that was the goal, that that if you had 15.1% Asian population, you wanted the Asian population to have at least 15% of the districts look like them. Is that right? 30, 30%. They wanted 30% of the districts. I'm sorry. They wanted um, of the Asian American districts. 30 per, there's a 30% Asian American population voting block, and, and that happens in six districts, congressional districts in uh, California. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so we look at this and go, well, what does all this mean for Kern County, right? How does this affect us here at home? And we actually lose. Um, some folks who have currently been representing portions of Kern County. And as the, these deck chairs move and these districts change, we lose Melissa Hurtado, who was a state senator. And um, she's shifting north now because she lives in Sanger. And she now lives in a district that's up in Fresno County. So Melissa Hurtado is no longer going to represent Kern County mm-hmm. after the election in November. Devin Mathis who represented parts of the Kern River Valley and um, represents Tulare County, but a little bit of Kern County up in the Kern River Valley. He's now pushed out, and he's only in Tulare County. So no more Devin Mathis, who is an assemblyman. No more Senator Melissa Hurtado. 
So those are significant changes because that means that we start to see changes here at home. And it's really interesting to see how the district lines change. And we don't need to get into where all the boundaries are because that gets a little a little boring and a little confusing. But bottom line, here's what we saw for like Vince Fong, for example. He was in Assembly District 32. Now he's going to be in Assembly District 34. He goes from a 14 point uh, 14 plot positive Republican district to a 23 point positive Republican district. Okay. So his district gets more Republican. Uh, the Rudy Solace seat, which we know Rudy's not running for, but we'll we'll call it that. He goes from AD 35 to AD. I'm sorry, from AD 32 to AD 35. He goes to a 24 uh, percent dim. Dem district, so he increases from 18 to 24. So his district gets more Democratic. Okay. So as these districts change, you start to see these little shifts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, when we look at the Senate, I'm gonna, I've got my dashboard in front of me, so I can look at all this. So I'll switch over, and we'll look at Shannon Grove's district, right? Mm-hmm. Her district changed dramatically. She now goes and represents still Kern County. But parts of Tulare, which she represented before, but she goes all the way up into Fresno County as well. Oh, boy. So she's got a huge district. And she went from an 11, almost 12% Republican majority district to almost an 18%, 17.98% majority Republican district. Her district got more conservative. Okay. And um, what district number is that, Senate District? She She's now Senate District 12. Hmm. And she now is all the way up in Fresno. And a lot of people thought she was going to be running against Andres Borges. And Andres Borges, who's a senator from up in that area, just announced that he's leaving the Senate So, uh, at the end of this, this term. So that tells you that this is still a Kern County seat. There's no way that we're going to – Kern County is going to lose the influence over SD12, the new SD12. Okay. All right. Very good. And, right. and then we look at the Melissa Hurtado seat, which she now lo- no longer lives in. Right. Because it's been redrawn. Right. And that's the one that Nicole Parra pivoted to declare I'm going to run for. Okay. And And what's unique about this one is it went from a 19 percent Democrat district to a 12 percent Democrat district. It actually trended the opposite direction. Whoa. Okay. And what number is this one? The the new Hurtado? SD 16, Senate District 16. That's her old one. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. that's the new one. It used oh. to be SD14. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's SD16 now. Yeah. So that's another change. Uh, on the congressional front, um, We, as we all know, uh, there was a big change there with the McCarthy district, right? Mm-hmm. He ended up now t- covering a big part of Kern, goes up to Tulare, gets a little bit of Fresno County. He goes from almost an 11-point Republican majority to a 21% Republican majority, really solid Republican district, something that um, he's not going to uh, lose, right? He'll be very comfortable in winning re-election. Is that the 23rd that now? You know, It is now CD20. It was CD23 before. Okay. Now he's in Congressional District 20. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, David Valdale was in CD21. He's now in CD22. His district roughly stayed about the same. Um, hmm. There was a slight increase in Democrat registration, but we're talking about a minor increase. We're going from 
a 16.22% Democrat district to a 16.92% Democrat district. But if you recall, in a few elections that we've had recently, he's won that election or lost that election by just a few hundred votes or a few thousand votes. So a minor shift like that couldn't mean a significant difference in the campaign. So I think that's going to be an incredibly important race to watch. It's always a hot one. Uh, it's going to be hot again. So that one is going to take uh, take a lot of wind out, out of the room, right? It's going to suck a lot of wind out of the room because mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to be focused on that race. Right. So that's kind of how it shakes up for Kern County in terms of how all that redistricting uh, affected us. And then every politician out there, right, all these folks looking at, hey, I'm going to run for this. Hey, I'm going to run for that. Hey, I'm looking at running for sheriff. Now they're all starting to say, okay, now what do I want to run for now? So it's uh, it's definitely created opportunity for some people. We're talking to Russell Johnson and Common Sense Consulting. We're trying to make some common sense out of out of these new districts and what's coming out of the, the Independent Commission on the redistricting. You know, Russ, as at is is it unfair to look at this when uh, we open the podcast talking about these people jumping around who had declared they were going to run for one thing, then the new lines come down, then they then they pivot and they they switch to something else? Is is it unfair to look at this as this is just more you know political posturing, political opportunism? That you look at this and you go, well, how committed were they to do X if if all of a sudden they switch at the last minute? to do why or is this something in fairness to them that they had to wait for these lines to come down to figure out exactly you know what's the best spot for them quite frankly it's a little bit of both um and it depends on who's giving them advice Mm -hmm. and i can give you some examples well let's take nicole Parr for example okay right uh let's start there and then we can kind of work our way through the different scenarios. Nicole Parr declared she was going to run for Congress. Right. She um, she said, hey, I'm going to run for Congress. I'm going to try to uh, take out incumbent Congressman David Valadeo. I think I can do it, right? Now, for someone in her position who is a former assemblywoman, has some name ID left, has, has been active politically for years and years and years, and um, but hasn't been in the news for close to a decade. Right. Right. Or more. Right. She hasn't been in the news for close to a decade or more. It made sense to declare she was going to run for Congress. Right. Because she had to get her name out there early to build name ID to jump at that opportunity. Um, You take that in in contrast and you say, well, now she shifted to run in the Senate district. Why did she do that? I think there's two major things that happened. Um, and in that, in her case, I think it benefited her to jump out a little bit early. Does it look a little opportunistic? Does it make it look like her make her look like a politician? Yeah, it does. But she used to be a politician, right? right? Mm-hmm. She was an assembly candidate or an assembly member. So it's not like she wasn't a politician. So um, she's already kind of pregnant with that label, right? So in her regard, I think it benefited her when Rudy Solis jumped into that congressional district uh, race. He cornered the market on the Democrats and notice everyone has gotten out of Rudy's way from the Democratic Party. uh, And he's the only candidate you hear about running against David Valdale. Um, So it made sense for Nicole to shift. 
And for her to shift to a Senate district that compromises a good portion of her former assembly district um, for a good portion of some of those congressional areas that she was already actively campaigning in, not a bad idea, mm-hmm. right? Um, even someone like uh, you look at Jasmine Baines, who had no name ID, right, other right. than she won a beautiful Bakersfield Award, right? right? For her, it made sense for her to declare, I'm going to run for assembly early, right? Even though she didn't know where the lines were, for a lot of the same reasons that um, that shook out for uh, Nicole Parra, right? you, you got to build your name ID. you got to get your name out there. There's some thought process there. Um, yet, I don't think that translates to someone like Lewis Gill. Okay. So you look at Lewis, and I love Lewis Gill. Lewis Gill's a great guy. We're talking about the former Lewis head Gill. of the ba- Bakersfield Homeless Center who was going to run against Kevin McCarthy, right? Yep. He, so he's running against Kevin McCarthy. So for months, he's running. I'm running for a partisan seat. I'm going to take out a Republican, the highest-ranking Republican, yeah. right? I mean, you know, he's he's the minority leader in the House. So it's a tall order. And he starts raising money from all over the U.S. for people that just are writing him checks just because they want to get rid of McCarthy, right, from, from the Democrat side of the aisle. And you look at that and you go, okay, well, he's just getting his name out there. So it kind of makes sense, right? Well, no, because now he's pivoted. And he's running for a seat at the Kern County Board of Supervisors. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. He's now switched to a nonpartisan seat. Okay, that, that so was going to be my, one of my questions. What happens to all the money he raised to run against Kevin McCarthy as a Democrat, and now he's in District 3 for the supervisors, which is nonpartisan? Well, I think we can get there in a second. I think the better thing to talk about first is the fact that he labeled himself as a partisan for months. Now he jumps into a nonpartisan seat where he's going to need Republicans to vote for him. Um, and now he's a partisan guy. So he's kind of tainted himself. And for a guy who was running as the non-politician for the congressional and will try to position himself as a non-politician running for supervisor, he's kind of pregnant with the political jumping aroundness that right. gets labeled with politicians. Mm-hmm. So then on top of that, you look at all that code blue money that he raised from the Democrat side of the aisle where he raised all that code blue money and it came in. He's going to get labeled as a partisan right out of the gate. And Mm -hmm. for him, I think it actually hurt him Mm -hmm. to declare for a partisan seat than to come down and run for a nonpartisan seat for that very reason, because he made himself partisan when – Ultimately, now he's running in a nonpartisan seat. Can, can so, he legally use that money he raised as a Democrat? It, great it, question. Mm-hmm. So in, in Kern County, we have a, a thing called Measure K. And the way I re- read Measure K and the way I read it when I ran for county assessor was that you could only transition uh, a certain number of dollars from a, a political committee into your um, political committee for a county supervisor. And when I read it, I, I believe the dollar amount was 1500 was the max. Mm-hmm. So if you're maxed out at 1500 that you can transfer, he can only move 1500 from that congressional committee Boy. into the, his 
Board of Supervisors Committee. And for him, that's a significant challenge because you can't move, say, I, I don't even know how much money he raised for his congressional, uh, let's just say it was, for the sake of argument, a hundred grand, right? Okay. Um, and that's purely speculative. I have no idea how much he raised. But let's say he raised a hundred grand. The most he can write himself into his supervisorial account, $1,500. Wow. Well, what happens to the, let's say he raised a no, hundred grand. What happens to the other, you know, uh, $98,000 or whatever, if, if, you know, 98.5, you know? Yeah. You know, so I am not familiar with federal election law uh, for reporting as much as I am with California state rules. But under California state rules, you can do a couple things. One, you can give it back. Two, you can donate it um, to charity, to a 501c3 nonprofit. Or the third thing you can do is you can um, you you can donate it to other people that are running for office. Mm. So he he has options with the money. He has things he can do with it, but he's not allowed to spend it on the supervisor's race. Isn't that interesting? If he does, it becomes a major K violation. Mm. Interesting. So so it, it kind of puts him at a disadvantage, right? Because you know here he thought he you know someone may have thought. You know, here he has all this money, but in reality, that money cannot transfer over. He's got to start starting it just like everybody else, right? Just just like everyone else. Right. So, so he had his announcement um, that he's running, um, and then I think you also, uh, since we're on the third district, let's go ahead and talk about it, right? We're on the third district race now. You have Jeff Flores, who everyone knows is going to be running. He hasn't made his formal announcement yet. Um, he will be running, um, and Jeff is in a great position uh, to win that election. A lot of people would say he's probably the front front runner coming out of the gate for a variety of reasons. Uh, reason number one, he's been working the district for the last, you know, since 2010 when he went to work for Mike Maggard. Um He actually took my job when I left working for Mike, so mm. I know the exact day he started was January 1st, 2010, because okay. uh, my last day was December 31st, 2009. So he started January 1st, 2010. He's been working that district for over a decade. Right. And in terms of the latest redistricting that the county did, that district really didn't change much, right? Mm -hmm. It added a few new voters, but um, other than that, that district really didn't change much. So from that standpoint, just been working that district for a long time. He knows all the movers and shakers in that district. He knows the people that influence the community leaders in that district. So for him, he's at a huge advantage compared to everyone else. Uh, the other advantage Jeff has is he's got more name ID than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Current high school district trustee, um, he's in a position where from that perspective, typically in education, people tend to view people coming from education as uh, very positive. Mm -hmm. um, I think he had a couple key votes on the current high school district that benefit him. During COVID, they were looking at potentially going out and creating another bond for the current high school district. Jeff was the deciding vote to say, mm, now is not the time to go bond right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think his argument made a lot of sense to a lot of people. We're in this, this worldwide pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen to our local economy. We don't know what's going to happen all across the board. Going out to bond right now doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, right. We need to wait until we have more certainty. 
So I think from that standpoint, you know, he's had some really good, solid votes on the current high school district. Um, and, you know, that puts him in a position where um, he's the front runner, right? You look at Lewis Gill. Lewis Gill had an incredible track record running the homeless center. Um, great guy, really well respected around town. But the problem Lewis finds himself in is he's labeled himself as a partisan now. Right, right. And and he can't say that Jeff's the politician and he's not because he was running for Congress. And now he's running for supervisor. You know, w- w- what's going to happen there? Right. Right. So I think Lewis has, has a challenge and raising money under Major K is really, really hard. It's really hard to raise money. under. Why, Major why K. is that? Um, just the way the rules are written. Major K, uh, the county's campaign finance rules, basically say that if you take the county spending limits, which is $100,000 for a supervisor's race in June, 150 if you go to the runoff, um, you're limited to $500 per person. Uh, I'm sorry, $1,000 per person. If you don't take the spending limits, you basically say, I'm going to spend whatever I want, mm-hmm. right? I can spend a million dollars if I can raise it, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're limited to $500 per person. Uh, so it really makes raising money a lot harder, especially if you're going to try to get over that $100,000 spending mark. Interesting. And it, it takes a long time to raise money. I know how much how much time it takes to raise money. Someone who ran for countywide office, and it, it takes a significant amount of time to raise money under Major K. It was so much easier for me to raise money uh, when I was on the city council and there was no limits. Interesting. So uh, for that, it was really easy. But when you get to Major K and you're tapped at $1,000 per person, per business, it, it gets very, very hard. Right, right. So um, L- and then we've got a third. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Let, let's finish off here with a third. Yeah. So then we've got a third candidate in that supervisor's race, and it's Brian Smith, uh, nice guy, former law enforcement, great bio, right? the kind of bio that actually would play really, really well in the 16th Senate district, Mm -hmm. right? A Uh a district that had decline in Democrat registration, right? Kind of looks more like the old Danny Gilmore candidate, right? Uh Uh Who could potentially go and win a statewide seat in a statewide uh, and be a statewide elected official as a state senator. His bio would do really well in a race like that. Um, and um, but now he's running for um, third district supervisor, and the, Brian is kind of pregnant with the same problem Lewis was, from the standpoint of he was running for, as your Bakersfield Observer pointed out, a few years ago he was running for sheriff. Right. Then he was going to run for something else. Now he's running for supervisor, and uh, supposedly he had an announcement that he was going to run this week. I don't know when that announcement was taking place. Um, but there hasn't been a single article about him making a formal announcement. Um, I know he was in the um, Oildale Christmas Parade, mm-hmm. and he also um, used to have that article uh, in the Californian, and that's now gone. But his challenge is he doesn't have a good fundraising base, right? He's never run for office right. before. He doesn't know who to call to raise money from. Uh, yeah, he's got his own personal Rolodex, and yeah, he's got a great bio, but in politics, you've got to get your message out. And then you've got to ask yourself, well, why are people going to support me over someone like Jeff or someone like Lewis, right? And I think when you look at it, people want a degree of certainty. 
from their elected officials. And I think when you look at what's going on, there's a lot of certainty that people feel like they can get with someone like Jeff, which is why I say he's the front runner. Um, not saying he's going to win, just say he's the front runner at this point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is because a lot of the donor community in this town views Jeff as a they, as a known commodity, right? They know what they're going to get. They know how to get a hold of them. They know how to talk to them if they need something. And these are the people that are building the commercial projects, the residential projects, the you know the that have business before the county. These are the people that you know make this county grow, and that's why I think Jeff has a leg up um, uh, over the other two candidates, um, given the certain circumstances. So it's going to be a unique race. It's still early. Um, and just for full disclosure, I've not endorsed anyone yet in the race. I've not written a check yet personally to anybody in the race. I've got a client who's going to be endorsing in the race. So I'm I'm kind of keeping my powder dry and to see what my client's going to do. Okay. Um, Jeff and I have known each other a long, long time. We're friends. Um, so it's, um, but I, I am personally kind of, as I told Jeff Flores and I told Brian Smith, I said, I'm personally not weighing in, in the race until after my, uh, until after my client makes their decision as to what direction they're going to go. Right. You know, you talked about people want a, a degree of certainty. And when I look at Jeff Flores, who, uh, not that it matters to anybody, but, but would be my pick would be my my endorsement there. And one of the reasons is I want that degree of certainty that you're talking about. This is a guy, as you said, I mean, you held the job. He's been in this job since uh, 2010. He knows the district. I mean, I is, am I, and and feel free here, uh, Russell, to just tell me, said, you know, go Rico, you're, you're just being naive here, but I'd like, I'd like to believe people when they tell me something. Right. So if you line up to run for something, if you're, if you're Brian Smith, who I've met, and I, I met him at a social event long before the pandemic where he says, I'm running for sheriff. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, but I won't run for sheriff unless Donnie Youngblood retires, right? So, okay, fair enough. Then I see his name pop up in, in the Californian, which I used to run, and I kind of put two and two together. And I said, wow, he's, I mean, what better, what better form for a guy to introduce yourself to the community than to write a story from the perspective of a retired CHP officer when you're running for, for sheriff? Then we get around and we go, oh, no, I'm not running for sheriff. I'm running for supervisor. And I, I have the same problem with Lewis Gill. That, and I like Lewis Gill, and I consider him a friend. But he went, he went the partisan route, and he was going to run, run against Kevin McCarthy. And now here at the last minute, we switch. And I, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Now tell me, am I just being naive and stupid, or is, or is this just the way this thing is going to work in a year of redistricting? No, I, I don't think you're being naive. Um, and I think you have to ask yourself, right, like at the end of the day, it's not up to you and I. It's up to the voters of the 3rd Supervisorial District, right? Mm-hmm. And if you feel that way, and if there's a number of people who around this community who've said exactly what you've said about both uh, Mr. Gill and about both Mr. Smith, if there's people that feel that way, there's voters in that third supervisorial district that feel that way as well. And both gentlemen are going to have to overcome that criticism, right? Um, I think for someone like Lewis Gill, it's a little bit of a bigger hurdle than someone like Brian Smith, right? 
Brian Smith may have been out there vocal to some people that he was running for sheriff, but probably wasn't as vocal as Lewis Gill was that he was running for uh, Congress, right? Absolutely. So Lou, uh, Brian Smith, the first time some of the voters are going to get to hear his name because he's got relatively low name ID. And mm-hmm. even though he's writing an article in the local paper, how many people read the Californian? Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, you absolutely. know, it's very, it's a very small readership compared to what it used to be back in the year 2005, 2006. You know, it's just, it's just shrunk, and it's happening to the newspaper business across, across the board. You know, everything's more digital now, and um, so, it, so he's going to have less of a hurdle than Lewis does to overcome with that, but. It doesn't look good. It makes you look like a politician. And I think right now people are upset with politicians. Right. They're upset with politicians, whether you're Republican and conservative, they're upset with politicians that are Democrat, and whether you can identify as liberal or progressive. People just don't like politicians right now. And unfortunately, in this race, the two guys who could have run as non-politicians are pregnant, right. <laughs> pregnant with running for one, I was running for another, and they're, they're acting like politicians. So they're not innocent. So I think they've taken probably one of their greatest strengths and they've flushed it down the toilet. Oh, that's a problem. That'd be good advice from a consultant like you. Can we talk about uh, Nicole Parr for a second? Because you talked about how long she had been out of office. And people like you and me, we pay attention to this stuff. I mean, it's your business. Uh, I pay attention to this stuff because I've been in this community for a while. But you said that what what effect does being out of the game for a decade have to do on name recognition? I certainly remember Pete Parra when he was a supervisor when I when I moved here. I remember her dad. I remember Nicole when she was in the uh, the assembly. And now here she is again. But it's been a while. Is how hard mm-hmm. is that to overcome? It's huge. It's huge. A, a, a lot happens over ten years, right? Um, let's just, I don't it's want to be about it. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, people die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, think about all the community leaders we've lost in the last 10 years, right? right? These are people that probably could have endorsed Nicole, right? Mm-hmm. So she's got to get out there and she's got to rekindle those relationships. Chambers of commerce boards turn over, right? right. Businesses sell. Um, and let's be honest in politics, you got to raise money. Mm-hmm. And if businesses have sold and the same person who was there when you were raising money 10 years ago isn't there again, you know, you, you've got to be able to figure out who you're going to go and raise funds from. So all of that dynamic is constantly changing. The one thing she has going for her is that she's in a seat with no incumbent because mm-hmm. Melissa Hurtado right. was drawn up north. Mm-hmm. So she has a huge, huge advantage where – you know, she's in a seat that wasn't um, wasn't um, really was kind of vacant, and it's not vacant right now because Melissa still represents us until the end of the year. But the reality is, it's it's going to be an open seat. So for her, she got really, really uh, she, she, she landed as best as she could. Yeah, right. correct. Right, right, right. And let's talk about Leticia Perez because she's had quite a year. That was 2021 was quite a year for her with all her problems with the DA's office and her husband and the conflict of interest on the marijuana vote and that type of thing. It looked for a while that she was just going to step aside and retire like she'd had enough. Yeah, basta, I've had enough. And now here she is. I mean, she's back. Does What do you make of that and her chances there? 
it, it just goes to show that in politics you can have nine lives if you, uh, you know, if you play your cards right. And um, I, to her credit, um, she did some things right. Um, she and she ended up, um, I think she ended up settling with the county, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if she declared that she was guilty or no contest, whatever, whatever the ultimate outcome was of that. She didn't run away from it and and try to try to lie and she kind of owned it and she did her community service and she, she tried her best to put it behind her. Right. And I think given those circumstances, that's really all you can do. Right. Um, and the fact that she's positioned herself, she's come out as the Democrat with the most name ID. She announced she's running. And if you look at who was at her announcement, you had uh, Rudy Salas, who's now running for Congress, the incumbent assembly member mm-hmm. uh, whose seat she's running for. Uh, you had um, um, the head of the Kern County Democrat Central Committee. You had uh, City Councilman uh, Eric Arias there from. I, I her believe area. Dolores Huerta was there too, wasn't she? Dolores was there. You had a number of folks. So she comes out, and out of the gate, people are going to say, hey, she's the front runner, right? And I would argue, given name ID, if the election were held today, her and Jasmine Baines, Leticia wins, right? Just because name ID alone. And if you look at a lot of the district and where it's at, um, you know, it's all in her her um, her kind of supervisorial district is entirely nested in that assembly district, if I remember correctly. So and, and she used to represent the Arvin Lamont areas, which know her. So she's got a huge advantage here. You touched on it early on, which is the past. And the question is, is what does the past mean to the voters and how much does that translate into the election? And someone like Jasmine Baines, who I don't think can be discounted, uh, I don't think you can count her out as a candidate. I think she's mentally tough. Anyone that can get a Ph.D. and become a doctor is mentally tough, right? That's a lot of schooling you have to go through. Um, That's a lot of personal dedication. So I think she's going to be mentally tough. Uh, And I think when you look at what she's got the capability to do, I think she's going to have the capability to raise a lot of money. I think she's going to be a really tough competitor for Leticia. And as of right now, those are the only two that are declared in that race. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that race uh, is going to be interesting to see how it shapes up. And remember, in California, we have a top two primary system, right? So you could have the top two end up squaring off in the primary, and then they could square off again in the general. What if there's only two two candidates? So if there's only two candidates— this race is really not going to be in June. It's going to be in in um, in November. Okay. But your your June primary in that one, if if you watch polls, right? And some people they live and die by polling, right? If you you can't, there's no better poll than an election, right? Right. And that is going to give a good indicator as to where that election is going to go moving forward. Um, I think when you break that one down, that one's going to be one to watch. There's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of money spent there. Um, uh, probably not so much in June, but more in December. Or, I'm what, sorry, in November. Is Baines November. running as a Republican? No, she's a Democrat. That's what I thought. Okay. All right. Very good. All yeah. Right. So you got Jasmine Baines, physician, Democrat, um, Leticia Perez, county supervisor, Democrat. And I, I and the other thing you you have to remember is that she's got, all the Democrat Party apparatus locally behind her, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, does that past come back 
And do the voters take that into account in the selection? That that's the question. Right, right. Let's let's go back to Kevin McCarthy if we could for a second. Now he is now in the is it the twentieth now? That's that's his district. Oh, let me double check. I've I keep forgetting. I think he's now in the 20th. Yes. Okay. All right. That's correct. What did you make when Lewis Gill came out and said that he was going to challenge him? Now, say what you want about Kevin McCarthy. You know better than anybody what margins he's enjoyed as he's won re-election. Now, this is a different Kevin McCarthy we're looking at given his association with the ex-president and that type of thing. And there was some news today about the, the House Select Committee wanting to subpoena him to to learn about his conversation with the ex-president on the, the day of January 6th. But when I saw Lewis Gill come out for him, I thought, this is like political suicide. I just didn't think there there was a chance in hell. What did you think of that? Well, and I, I'm not super good friends with Lewis Gill, right? Okay. Um, but I like the guy. I've known him for a few years. And... Um, What I know about Lewis is I think Lewis is an incredibly principled individual. Mm -hmm. And I think he wanted to run because he felt for his principled reasons that he wanted to run um, uh, against Kim McCarthy. Didn't mean I agree with him. It just means I I think he had some principled reasons why he chose to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the Lewis I know. However, the challenge he got himself into, and I'm not sure who was giving him advice, why anyone would declare for a congressional seat when you don't know where the lines are going to be, when you've never run for office before, um, that's a big question mark, right? And everyone knew that that this redistricting was going to be goofy because it was being done by a commission and not by politicians or judges, right? You can actually kind of figure out what politicians and judges are going to do a little bit. But a commission made up of individual people who put more weight on the Voting Rights Act than yeah. they did on how to keep communities of um, common interest together, you know, that that's kind of what happened with redistricting. So it really threw a wrench into everything. Um, my question to myself that I asked when Lewis was running is I thought he had to have an end game, right? And I thought, well, if he's running for a principled reason – and even if he puts himself up as the sacrificial lamb, right, and he's going and he loses because that, that that's something you have to factor in when you make the decision to run for office. I could lose. And what mm-hmm. happens if I lose? What do I do? Right. What's my next step? Right. Where's my end game? And for him, I actually thought there there was a possibility maybe he's positioning himself with the Biden administration maybe he's positioning himself with uh the Newsom administration he's probably talking to the DCCC and you know he could find himself in a homeless advisory role homeless czar role in either the state of California somewhere or in uh the administration back in DC okay right. so i saw that and i was like okay it doesn't make a lot of sense. He's not likely going to win. He's doing it for a principle, but then maybe there's an end game, right? That's that's what I'm thinking to myself. And I didn't talk to Lewis about him running. I don't even know why he decided to run for Congress. I'm just, you know, speculating on the man I know, right? Yeah, right. And and when he pivoted to run for supervisor, that at that moment I was like, who in the hell is advising you, Lewis? 
because they're giving you really, really bad advice. Mm-hmm. Because here he'd put himself in as a partisan right. and then pivots to a nonpartisan seat. He would have been better off switching to SD-16 or um, to run against Nicole Parra before she made the switch, right? Or okay. he would have been better off moving uh, probably not into the assembly race. That would have been a different different dynamic, but it just, I, I'm, I scratched my head because I'm like, you just took all your greatest strengths and you've kind of flushed them down the toilet, as I said earlier, because um, you made yourself partisan in a nonpartisan seat. And I, it just goes to show someone's giving him advice. I don't know who it is. And I just think he got, he got bad advice. Cause if he always had the supervisor's race as a backup, I would have kept my powder dry yeah. on, on Congress until the filing. Does. Well, yeah, right, right, right. Until you see what the new district, just, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. did, did it strike yeah. you as odd or is this just old school of me? It's just weird for me. And Lewis Gill has been around the community and he has good name recognition and certainly with the people, kind of the movers and shakers in town, so to speak. But to go from the head of a homeless center to running for Congress, uh, you know, jumping over school boards and 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 city councils and any number of opportunities to serve the public just seemed like a bridge too far to me. Is that how did that strike you? Yeah, you know, it's um, you know, in politics weird things happen, right? So you can't you can't discount anything and uh, weird things occur and. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, weird stuff's going to happen in politics. It just does. And that's true. Hey, it, as long as I have you on the line, I appreciate, appreciate it. We're talking to Russell Johnson, cons, uh, Common Sense Consulting. Can we talk a little bit about uh, our governor, Newsom, who was in town and uh, uh, announced uh, at least a proposal in his budget to create a, a multimillion-dollar kind of energy center down at, at, down at CSUB? He announced the plans to expand medical across california to to cover all uh all non-citizens as well i'm looking at him and i'm looking at the the problems with the biden administration and particularly the struggles of our vice president kamala harris and i'm 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 looking at at uh gavin newsom thinking this guy's running for president what what is your take Oh, you know, I think Gavin would like to run for president. And after his redistricting, you know, I was sitting in a uh, when he beat the I'm sorry, when he beat the recall, not redistricting, when he mm-hmm. beat the recall, I was sitting in a room with a bunch of people in Sacramento the day day after the results rolled in. And uh, we were talking about it. And someone in the room said, I think he just uh, won his reelection. They weren't talking about the recall. They were talking about his reelection uh, coming up in 2022. 20, uh, uh, Right? right. So the guy's going to get reelected for for uh, governor. Gavin Newsom could position himself for president. Here's here's the thing with Gavin Newsom and all his budget moving and everything he's trying to do, even the bone he tried to throw to Kern County. I think Kern County is smarter than that. And Kern County needs to say shame on Gavin Newsom. He's pandering politically to people. And I think that only takes you so far. And um, I don't know where it all ends up for Gavin Newsom, but, you know, when you're telling a a county like Kern County that you're going to take all of our jobs away in the oil and gas industry and you're going to pander to us and try to give us 400 million for uh, 
for one thing and then 200 million to cap all the abandoned wells and the reality is is that you're you're taking our jobs away um i think that kind of thing will not go over well and i can see the um do you remember the old michael dukakis ad when michael dukakis was running against george bush richard in the tank and no the one where uh oh maybe i'm thinking of the wrong guy not michael dukakis but um, remember when I think it was Bush that ran, he's running, and there was, uh, yeah, I think it was Dukakis. He um, he had that criminal that got out. Willie Horton. The revolving Willie door. Horton. Yeah, they showed yeah. show the revolving door of the prison, right? Right. Can you imagine if he shuts down oil and gas production in Kern County? The guy runs for president, and then we roll out oil-filled workers, people from disadvantaged community. The majority of our oil-filled workers are, are Latino. Mm-hmm. You roll out Latinos. And you say, that man took my job away. Yeah. That man doesn't care about you. He cares about getting elected to office. Do you really want this man to be your president when he takes people's jobs away for political gain? I can see the ads now. Russell, and you, I'll tell you what, those would be powerful ads against Gavin Newsom. Absolutely. You just mentioned you, you said this $400 million or whatever he's going to give Kern County over at CSUB. You refer to it as throwing a bone. Uh, you you pick up the paper, you read the California, and you see the President Zelezny over at Cal State uh, welcoming this as the the you know the best idea since sliced bread. But you call it throwing a bone. So, oh, shame on him! I, I hate to use a biblical reference, but you teach a man to fish, he'll fish for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. You give a man a fish, he eats for one day. You're going to let us eat for one day, right? When we've been eating for a lifetime on our own. Shame on you, Gavin Newsom. Shame on you. Interesting. What else could – we'll wrap it up here, and I appreciate your time. We've spent almost an hour with Russell Johnson. Any other races locally we should keep an eye on? Any surprises that you're looking at of people who maybe haven't filed yet, the filing deadlines we haven't 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 gotten there yet? No, there's not going to be a lot of races in June outside of uh, the county supervisor's race, Zach Scribner, and the third district um, race that we talked about earlier. Zach's running for re-election in the second. Zach is going to be a shoe-in. Uh, I don't see that being a big race. The only other race I'm hearing about is that John Lifquist is retiring from county assessor, Laura Avila. His assistant assessor is running. Laura um, comes from a local family. Um, she's within the office. She's the assistant assessor now. She's the uh, the shoe-in kind of heir apparent in that office. And, you know, just given the scale of where things are, I think she's probably the one who's going to run out and be a great candidate and probably be the front runner for assessor as well. That job has no interest uh, to you at this point? No, no. You know, Richard, I, I ran for uh, assessor back in 2014. And, um, as soon as that race was over, I made a promise to my wife. I said, look, we got young kids. I'm going to, my focus is on the young kids. I'm not running for anything anytime soon. My kids need me. Um, my wife and I both have full-time jobs. I'm running business. My wife works for a local distribution center. Uh, and I am, I am way too busy taking care of my kids and my life and, uh, just trying to keep everyone happy. And, uh, you know, my life's really good right now. And, um, I, I have no desire to run for office at the, at the near term. Excellent. Russell Johnson has been our guest from Common Sense Consulting. We covered a lot of ground, a lot of the races, things to keep an eye on. Things are still moving around We have for uh, as we head to the June election. Uh, Russ, I, uh, Russell, I hope I can get you back on again, and I thank you so much for your time. 
Thanks, Richard. Anytime. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Russell Johnson, everybody.